According to my guest, Matt Phelan, happy employees are 19% more accurate when working on tasks. They can increase productivity by 31%. And here's the biggie for sales leaders. Happy employees can raise sales by a whopping 37%. So what is happiness at work and how do we reap these rewards? I'm Anna Britnell Guest. I'm host of Revenue Riser and leader at Alate Business Growth. Welcome to this latest edition. I'm delighted to be joined this episode by two people who are passionate about creating workplaces that put people first. In fact, People First is a key objective of UserZoom, where Kathy Belford heads up the People team. I've been working with Kathy and with UserZoom for a year or two now, and she really does embody what you'd want to see in a 21st century HR function, and their People First journey is evident throughout everything they do. Matt Phelan heads up the Happiness Index and is author of Freedom to be Happy. I'm so glad I stumbled across him somewhere on LinkedIn a little while back. Matt has a refreshing and straightforward view of why and how we should make the effort to create happy workplaces. And he really puts forward a strong business case to support that. I was excited to introduce Kathy and Matt and explore together how happiness really does make business a better place and a more profitable one. So let's jump straight in. So Matt, how would you define happiness and why should leaders really care about it? Kicking off with a nice, easy question there. I've always originally struggled with with this question because I personally think that should be intuitive. I think looking after people should be something that is intuitive. But then I, I realized the more we worked in this place that it's like the saying, you know, when when people say, oh, that's common sense. Like one person's common sense is uh, another person's idiocy and so on. So actually to think it's intuitive, I, I realise almost a slightly arrogant view. And it's actually important for us to help people understand in business what the different options are. So th- the first way that I get people to phrase it back is I get them to think about themselves rather than a group first. I ask people to reflect back on their career and everyone listening can do this and you can do it, Anna and Kathy, you can do it. Is I say to people, when you were unhappy at work, did you perform better? And and normally people have an experience in their career where they've been treated badly or unhappy and didn't perform better. Rather than it being a brain conversation, people feel what it's like. And once you feel what it's like, you can have empathy for others. The problem is, businesses have been successful running businesses in certain ways for for many times and to answer the business case piece i think what companies have done is they've really focused really well on the rational part so the engagement part but they've missed out the happiness part because lots of people like to imagine that we are robots so from a neuroscience perspective i'll just read out very simply what we see as engagement and what we see as happiness so for us engagement is what the brain needs So it's clear direction, enablement to succeed. So that's the tools to succeed, opportunities to grow and aligned meaning and purpose. The bits that we feel get lost, uh, which we relate to happiness in the heart, is psychological safety, positive relationships, freedom to take opportunities and feelings of acknowledgement. Now, these are not my views on what the definition of, of happiness is. This is the happiness index's analysis across 100 different countries of hundreds of thousands of millions of people. So... This is what we find in our research that that people need to thrive at work. Well, our definition of thrive at work is be happy and engaged. 
So I know that was a, a long answer, Anna, and we'll probably get into more data. But I ask people to think back to themselves and then think about what the wider group needs, which is those eight things that our brains need and our heart needs to thrive and therefore perform. I think it's a really interesting definition, Matt, to, to be thinking about what is it that, that makes that difference between engagement and happiness, because you know, people can be extremely engaged, but still leave their employer or still not feel fulfilled or, or happy in what they're doing. So I think you know it's, it's really interesting to think about that and topics like psychological safety and that sort of freedom to be able to be yourself and to be able to operate in a way that works for you, I think are really critical and, and probably have been highlighted much more over the last the last year or so, as people have been having to work from home, people have been much more isolated. We've had to think about how we connect and work and build and maintain those relationships with each other in different ways and, and kind of how we get the job done. It's something that we talked about in episode one of this season, which is about the situation has changed to view. And Pia Lee was talking about you know, during the pandemic, everybody went down to being very tactical and very task focused. But actually, we miss out on some of those elements really that are fundamental to what you're talking about there, Matt. Kathy, let's bring you in at this stage. Uh, what are some of the things that you've been seeing? How does that resonate with you and, and what you've been seeing in user Zoom? That's some really interesting points you made there, Matt. If I look back over the last year or 18 months that we've experienced, you know, not just as a company at user Zoom, but also you know across the globe, is that it's understandable that you need to kind of almost go into pragmatic mode sometimes and kind of work through, go through the motions and get things done. And there's absolutely a place for that. And I think some of the challenges are, is that if you are struggling as a business or as a person and you've got targets to meet, you know, you don't necessarily have that psychological safety. You know, you're being driven to achieve and you almost kind of get yourself pulled or pushed into this mentality of you know not being able to see the wood for the trees you can't actually focus on what it is you need to do one of the things that was really important to us throughout the last 18 months was actually focusing in on on everybody's well-being their mental health their emotional state because it wasn't easy and it wasn't necessarily a one size fits all if i look across the company everybody had their own challenges that they were dealing with that might be young children at home. That might be, you know, in a confined space without access to fresh air and outdoor and sunlight and so on, not being able to have those social connections. For some people, it was absolutely brilliant. You know, they loved that being able to not have the day-to-day -day pressures of meeting people. But what I think what became apparent for us was that you know, we had to focus in on people's emotional states and, and essentially finding moments of happiness. It wasn't kind of saying, okay, you've got to be happy 24-7. Everything's sunshine and uh, you know rainbows because that's not reality. But actually, it was taking mom a moment to break it down and really understand yourself and essentially what you could do just to nudge that forward. One of our core values as a company is Kaizen, and it works brilliantly across everything, business, you know, yourself, personal goals, absolutely everything. And if you break it right down, to those those small things you know what one thing can I do today if I don't do anything else what one thing can I do that will take me forward what can I achieve what one thing can I do that actually brings me a little bit of happiness I think in terms of what we've seen is that for me it's I'm a people person I feel like it's always been innate with me in terms of you know focusing in on on individuals but essentially you know if you can tap through 
to somebody and communicate with them on their language and understand what's important to them in that moment, the results on that are fantastic. I'll uh, bring you back in here because I think, you know, what Kathy's talking about really illustrates just thinking about the individual and what's important to the individual. And I think, you know, that point about we can't all be happy all of the time. Happiness is is part of an emotional suite, isn't it, that we, we all go through. And there are times when we have that real pleasure happiness in the moment, that sort of more excited, animated kind of happiness. But actually, what we really talk about is that sort of happiness in the flow of work and in that meaningfulness of work as well, isn't it? Yeah. And I think we'll sort of lead into sales from this point and also for the audience, but also talk about link happiness and well-being. Kathy makes some really good points. Sometimes I think well-being and happiness get mixed up. For me, happiness is the external thing that you can see if well-being is in place. So for me, fundamentally, I think well-being is the foundation of everything in personal life and work life. And, and everything comes from there. When you see emotions, what you're doing is you're getting clues into, into someone's well-being. Before the call, Anna was talking about a great book about sleep. So sleep would be an example of that. If, you're, if your team are never getting any sleep, it's going to impact their well-being and you will see it in their happiness. And what we need to avoid is toxic positivity. Kathy's absolutely right. What you want to do is like the examples of the Kaizen approach where you think, right, how do I one step at a time improve happiness? But you shouldn't set it as a goal to say, right, I need people to be 100% happy all the time because that's not realistic. It's a horizon, not a destination. But what happens by trying to understand what makes people happy and unhappy, you continually improve the culture and the ecosystem. And from that comes out some really useful information. So what Kathy and Anna both described, if, if we put all our data into four boxes, and this is hard to do on a, a podcast, but if we imagine the bottom left box is survival and the top right box is thriving, in the last 18 months, two years, it has been needed to survive, okay? So we had to go into tactical places to survive. Like this is the theory of evolution. It's not the, the biggest and strongest. It's the most adaptable to change. That's what companies have been doing. They've been surviving. And if I give you a top left where people um, often in sales mistake a thriving culture is a competitive culture. So often people think they've got a good culture. And if we take a sales environment and we take two salespeople that are competing with each other, the company doesn't want two salespeople contradicting each other. They want their overall outcome. And sometimes people mistake thriving with competitive and competitive can work in the short term, but long term, the company's not going to benefit. There's also another box in the bottom right, which is where you have high happiness, but low engagement, which is unfocused. What you're achieving if you've got high happiness and high engagement is the thriving piece. But we need to understand if all of your employees were super happy through the pandemic, there would be an actual problem there because there would be an empathy issue for the rest of the population. Like it's normal that people are dying in the country that you will feel unhappy. So to feel happy all the time is as abnormal to feel unhappy all the time. Competition, you know, there's a fine line between it, kind of what becomes healthy and then what becomes destructive within a team. It's having that team before I mentality where actually you celebrate and recognize the team's achievements and yes, the, the individuals and how they contribute within that. And I think that's the role of, of a leader is how to really positively reinforce the team wins 
So it's not just kind of always focusing in on an individual and yeah, absolutely recognize them where recognition is due, of course. But actually, there is that opportunity to nudge it forward as a leader to say, well, we've succeeded as a team. You know, you rise and fall as a team. It's something that I talk to my own team about, the people team at UserZoom, is that essentially it doesn't matter who does it. We represent that as a team and we generally will rise and fall as a team as well. You're taking that high levels of competition out of that everyday working scenario. Just picking up on what we were talking about earlier as well, you know, when it comes to happiness and how to really focus in on this as a company, the things that we did at UserZoom over the last 12 to 18 months, they weren't extravagant. They weren't throwing money at a situation, trying to kind of use a system or a tool, but essentially it was the simple things. And people value time and support. They value recognition when it's genuine and timely is important. But one of the big things is connection. That's been obviously one of the challenges that we've experienced kind of individually and as a company is that, you know, we are we're having to connect over Zoom and in this remote world. It comes with challenges. You haven't necessarily got all those moments between meetings in the kitchen, at the water cooler, wherever you might be. You know, you miss those moments of connection. And when we've looked at what it means to be a people first company. So, I, you know, I had my own ideas of what that meant. And it's one of our objectives for, for 2021. And I'll say it wasn't one that I took on lightly. In fact, you know, I refused it the year before because I said we just weren't ready as a company yet. And if you make a statement like that, as bold as kind of saying we're going to be a people first company, you've got to make sure that everybody, including all of leadership, is aligned to that and understands exactly what it means. You know, one of our other core values is data insight. So essentially, we we did what we advise our customers to do, and, and we gathered that insight and that sentiment across the business on, on what, it, what it genuinely means to be a people-first company at UserZoom. And of course, it will differ across different companies. So kind of what works for us is not necessarily going to work for the company where you work. But it was, I think, and what, what came out most for us is it was that support, listening to one another, connecting with one another, you know, really understanding the root cause, you know, ensuring that we've got diversity across the business in everything we do, people that we're bringing in, but also the way that we approach everything we do. And and it was that, you know, having that diversity, which we're on a journey, we've got a lot to do, similar to happiness is that you know, it's not the destination, it's, it's there on the horizon, it's the journey that you're going on. Reminds me of my one of my favorite quotes from Maya Angelou is, you know, do the best you can until you know better. Then when you know better, do better. It's keeping it simple, not trying to come up with some over elaborate initiative, but simply asking people what matters most, taking that time to listen and, and really then how you put that into everyday life. Just to come in on that point, on, on the broad data and, 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 and build on Kathy's point is that in the, the book that you referenced, Freedom to be Happy and in all our data at the Happiness Index, none of the stuff to, to help employees be happy costs any money. They're all human things that, that have been around for over 100,000 years. And they are all the things like Kathy is touching on there, like acknowledgement. And I'll give you some global data and show you some differences. So the drivers of happiness change from culture to culture, from country to country. But the one thing that doesn't change is number one is always relationships. So relationships is the one that driver of happiness. So if you've got positive relationships at work, you're happier and you perform better. But the second driver of happiness changes, which makes you realize that you also have to adapt to people. 
the example that I can use is some people lump together Canada and America as North America, don't they? Which is correct as a landmass perspective. But in uh, the USA, the second driver of happiness and engagement is clarity, which is one of the eight that we spoke about. In Canada, it's acknowledgement. So two similar countries where we're seeing very different data examples. And and what that is, is you've got your universal thing, which Pixar understand, which is if you watch any Pixar movie on mute, you can still understand what's happening because they, they've spent their entire research budget on understanding global emotions. But it does differ from a cultural perspective. And that there's so much in that, isn't there? Like it may be the psychological safety in, the, in Canada of, uh, of how the healthcare system works compared to in America, where if you lose your job, you may also lose your children's healthcare. So obviously clarity at that point is the only thing you're thinking about. You're thinking, right, what do I need to do so I can keep my job? It's that mix of there's universal truths. None of it costs any money. So to to summarise and build in with Kathy's point is there are universal truths and drivers of happiness like relationships, but they change from person to person. So I ask people every day what makes them happy in a a one-on-one situation and it changes. So there are universal truths that don't cost any money for you to implement, like making sure you thank people for what they've done. But remember, it changes person to person. So trying to understand your team and what motivates them is really important. Go on, jump in, Cathy. I was going to say, I completely agree with that on, you know, it does change every day. And one of the things that we are, we've got an initiative ongoing at the moment is how we communicate. It kind of comes back to what you were saying earlier around it's almost taking it back to basics. We all know how to communicate, but I think sometimes we try and almost create something bigger than what it actually needs to be. And it's almost just taking it back to basics. And I completely agree with what you said. You know, everybody's going to communicate or feel happiness in a different way. And it is just taking that time to understand it. And again, kind of coming back to connection and you know the fact that we will force it into a, a remote world of work, regardless of wanting that. And that's one of the things that you know, we have a big emphasis on at the moment as a company is how we communicate. It goes hand in hand with the collaboration that we have as a company. And essentially, it all, all stems from good communication. I just want to add in what people call professionalism. So a lot of the stuff that we label professionalism comes, comes in the engagement bracket. So someone might, in, in an office space, might have said someone wearing flip-flops to the office might be unprofessional, right? That's someone's personal view. And I know this is just a little bugbear of mine, but wouldn't it be great if professionalism was making sure you understand how your team is feeling? Isn't that more important than what someone wears as footwear? Because if you think about emotions leading to performance and empathy and, and, and so on and so on, I think the definition of professionalism just needs to change massively because it focuses people on the absolute wrong things. I don't really don't care what someone, what they wear on their feet, but what I do care is if they're a leader in this business, are they listening to their people? Um, so maybe we need a little redefine of what professionalism means. I hope so, because I haven't worn shoes in a year. So uh, <laughs> no, I absolutely agree. It's those basic skills of listening, understanding what's important and communicating well with your team. Bigger focus on that as opposed to what someone turns up to the office when. Thinking back to episode one in this season, Greg Wade, who talks a lot about toxic leadership, but he referred to some interesting stats, well, actually quite scary stats, about the number of people that feel that their manager, their direct manager, is either mildly or very toxic as a leader. And also cited some research into 
the number of leaders who feel that they're not really properly equipped to be a leader. So it's not necessarily that they're intentionally toxic, but you've got a perfect storm there. And yet what we're talking about here is, although these things are free, actually, we need to give people guidance on how to do that and what that really looks like, don't we? And, And if I think about in a sales environment, there's almost a sense of creating that competition and success become you know success leads to happiness whereas i think you know really what we're saying is it's it's the other way around it's about creating the happiness and success comes out of that isn't it completely agree you know if you think when when that psychological safety is not there for an individual you know you do have to remind someone of the basics if someone has gone through is grieving the loss of somebody or has gone through some tragic event you know you do have to go back to basics and you do have to remind people to breathe and to eat and to go and get a good night's sleep. I can think back from my own perspective when I've experienced that. And to your point, Anna, when we think about our leaders, if that psychological safety is not 100% in place, what we're not allowing them to do is show up and be the best version of themselves. And we need them to be that best version of themselves. Okay, not every day because that's not realistic, but certainly you know, they are responsible as part of their leadership role to encourage and motivate and support their teams. It might seem simple if, you know, whilst we're discussing it here, but these are some of the basics that can be forgotten in the moment. It's not intentionally, it just happens. We're investing in a leadership development program at UserZoom with Anna. And, you know, the, the feedback has been incredibly positive across the company. And you can see that ripple effect you know, it strengthens the leaders that we've got in place and gives them that guidance and provides examples of how to kind of put that into practice every day. Because it is, you know, ultimately coming back to our people first objective. Now, it's all very well us holding that as a people team, but essentially, you know, we're reliant upon our leaders being in a position of knowing how to be a a good leader or a great leader and what that means. So we're reliant upon other people in, in providing that people first environment for a company, for our employees. So uh, 100% agree. And I think just to build on Kathy's point, I think so much of this stuff comes from insecurity. I think toxic cultures come from insecure leaders. And part of that is like what you've been taught or who you observe, because that's how that's how we learn as human beings. And like an example of me, like before I had children, I always felt it was important to be like the first one in the office and the last one out, because that is what I had been taught. And then when I had children, that wasn't sustainable anymore. So I think you sometimes you need to learn it from other perspectives. And this is this is where I suppose we go on to what we talk about as a growth cycle rather than a growth strategy when it comes to sales. And the thing that I want, the example I want everyone to imagine in their head is a sunflower, right? And the reason I think it's about a growth cycle, not a growth strategy is if you think of of sales as an ecosystem and you think about it like plants and a sunflower and you think of yourself as a gardener you focus on all the inputs that that sunflower needs to become a tall bright sunflower which is the correct amount of water nutrients in the soil sunshine right what a lot of us do in sales is we focus on the output so we say to the sales team all the time where's the sales numbers where's the sales numbers where's the sales numbers 50k 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 whatever it is when actually as leadership the most important thing we can do is help the teams work on the inputs as opposed to the number the number the number because if you sat with a sunflower and just kept saying to the sunflower you need to get taller you need to get taller 
you're not helping. And I learned this from um, the England coach, Justin Cochran, who, who was on my podcast. It, he described it as comfort coaching. Um, and Annie, you probably may have heard this. I'd never heard of it before. But comfort coaching is where you ask questions that make you more comfortable, not the person. So a comfort coach would just want to know about the sales number because that helps them report to someone else in the business. And it's moving away from the collective responsibility. Whereas actually speaking to your sales team and understanding how many calls they've made or how many emails have been sent out, how quickly replying to stuff is the opposite to comfort coaching because you're helping that person. So the mindset shift is to go from, uh, you're just always asking yourself, when you ask a sales team something, are you asking that to make yourself more feel more comfortable or are you asking it to help? Because if you're just doing it to make yourself more comfortable and the board to be more comfortable, your comfort coaching, which I've never heard of until a few weeks ago, Anna, but I, I love the concept. I think it's a really good point. And one of the things that I was always taught in my coaching and, and I've always tried to apply and, and follow through on is, am I asking this question because it's going to help me? Yeah. Um, or am I asking this question because it's going to help the person I'm coaching? Yeah. And that's quite a good checkpoint. And, and sometimes kind of we need a little bit of context and a bit of background. But, you know, let's be clear about I'm asking you this to get some background so I can then ask some more pertinent questions. But I think that also comes back to that psychological safety and building the trust and having the ability between the leader and their team members individually and collectively to be able to have those honest conversations because often a leader will say to a team member, how are you doing? And the automatic response is, yeah, fine. Or a justification as to why maybe things aren't quite the way they are, or potentially a sort of a pushback and, and passing the butt a little bit along to somebody else. You've got to build up that environment in which you can have those honest conversations. When you ask somebody, how are you doing? How's that sunflower doing? Yeah that you can have the honest conversation about, is it getting the right nutrients? Is it getting the right water levels, et cetera? And therefore, what do we need to be doing to address that? And being able to have those open, honest conversations. And the glimmer here that I see in sales teams is that actually I'm seeing, I am seeing more of that now. Very competitive environment still persists in some places where you know, we can't show any weakness. We, you know, we've got to constantly be trying to demonstrate we're making the numbers. And, and if we're not, we've got to just figure it out for ourselves and hope nobody notices. I think it has declined. Certainly sales teams that I talk to and work with are working more collectively as teams and are valuing each other's input and support in terms of what each other's doing. But I still think there's quite a long way to go and leaders can be doing more to support and encourage and, and create the right environment for that to happen. So what are, what are some of the things that you're seeing or that, that you'd recommend leaders do, and particularly those who are, who are trying to drive revenue numbers to to support that from our perspective anna again back to build on this same thing and, and linking in what kathy was saying and insight and data is understanding what inputs human beings need to perform so we were using the example of, of light and air which actually are important inputs for well-being but if you're going to say like kathy says you're going to be people first what are the inputs to be people first and how are you expecting that to play through into the sales performance because this can't be a brand thing, because what I can tell you is that if you tell your team that it's all about the people, but then you don't act on that, it's actually worse. I, the other thing I would say, Anna, is I think because of who you are and your brand, the people that will work with you are people who intuitively get this, going back to my first original point. I'm not seeing the same picture across the macro picture, as in 
I think you're seeing people that get this and are changing because people see your profile and then they say, oh, well, I want to work with Anna because I already take this stuff seriously. And um, I think across the piece, I think there's still some very traditional people and under pressure, people tend to go back to what they know best. So there are many leaders that have actually retrenched in this area. So not to disagree with you, Anna, but I think because of your great work, you see a certain picture, whereas across the board, I think there's a lot of people that could be listening to this podcast that may need to have personal coaching with, say, Anna, to be able to work out how they can influence other people in the business. So in summary, to answer your question, it's try and work out what you believe the inputs are. You can use the Happiness Index for free. We have a, a, a free trial for three months type thing that will help you diagnostically see that from a macro perspective. But you don't need tech to do that as well. You can actually sit down with your team and ask them. <laughs> tech should never replace good management. I agree. I think if you're not in a position of strength yourself, you know, you've got to take time to reflect, reflect on where you're at and, and what you need. You put your own oxygen mask on before helping others. And if you understand what you need in, in order to get to a position of strength to help other people, you know, the knock on impact and the ripple effect of that is going to be positive. You view things from your own world and your own perspective. So when I look at user Zoom, I kind of go, well, you know what, we have got a culture that is supportive. We recognize we're each other's champions. Simple stuff like kind of we have a Friday shout out. Well, I love it. It's great. You can sit there, you know, kind of see all the shout outs come through on a Friday. And it's genuine, uplifting each other and kind of going, I saw you did this and I thought it was really good. And I really appreciate that or I value, I value that. And that comes from, from everybody, you know, individual contributors, managers, leaders, and so on. What I've seen across user Zoom, there is a good level of empathy within the sales team. We are supportive. It's not this hire and fire mentality. Yes, ultimately, we've got to be successful as a business, but we'll give you the right skills and support and connect with you to kind of understand what it is when you need in order to be successful to get there. So it's a journey, but it takes two sides. You know, you've both got to commit to this journey. But I do see that. Now, I've worked in other companies where I started my my career off in recruitment. I remember my manager at the time telling me, Kathy, can I take that to the bank? <laughs> just at the time, I was just like, oh gosh, you know, and you, you, you cannot then almost be able to pick up the phone and have a decent conversation with, with the sales prospect because essentially all you can think is your manager going, telling you you're not you're not good enough here you're not hitting these numbers i've seen both experiences when it comes to sales environments it's, a, it's can, an interesting point what i can add kathy is a story from our own sales team at the happiness index which is like i said there's a free trial available for the happiness index but that is something that our growth team our sales team have come up with so our sales director a marketing director have looked at our retention rates if people come clients to the happiness index they very rarely leave so they've made an analysis that by offering a free trial, we will grow faster because people will use our technology, experience what the customers experience, and then we will win more rather than going out and doing lots of pitches. So that gamble to our business is about £750,000 because as soon as you um, offer something free for three months, you obliterate your own pipeline. <laughs> so that had to be a collective decision between the marketing director myself and the sales director because we've all signed up to that right if it doesn't work come september whose fault is that am i going to fire them am i going to fire myself or are we going to learn from it because this is how you move forward isn't it is you learn 
Now, the, the best, smartest people in our business, I'm not including myself in that, think this is the right idea. So we're going to trial it. We know the calculated monetary risk of it, but it, we can't get to the end of it and fire everyone because it was not a success. This is something that we have all talked about and we think is the right thing based on the data. So that, that's my own example of what psychological safety is. We will sit down in September and we will do analysis of how much that works. So we know internally if about 60% of the people on the free trial convert, that will be better than our previous commercial model. So we've got our metrics set up. If it's not, we will need to work out whether we go back or whether we adapt. But firing everyone in September, to me, is not the right option. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And certainly, you know, that requires that psychological safety and that that contract and that joint accountability, doesn't it? And I think if you don't have that psychological safety, it's very difficult for people to come up with more creative, more innovative ideas or to, or to feel confident putting those forward and having a good, robust debate and, and discussion about whether that's a good idea or not and, and how to evaluate if it's a good idea or not, both on a, a logical, rational data perspective, but also on a, you know, does it feel right? I'll be comfortable with it aspect. Yeah. Too. And include, uh, and, and just from a sales perspective, and I'll just add to that, include your prospects and customers in that conversation. Because what we did is we phoned people that were in our pipeline and said, if we were to change to this model, would it make a difference? And most of them went and said, yes. <laughs> so Absolutely. And it's interesting, episode two of this, Steve Warburton at Zen made exactly the same recommendation. You know, go and talk to your partners and your customers because they'll they'll give you the answers that you're yeah. you're looking for by and, by and large. We're into... Uh, Wrapping up and summing up. So, Matt, let's start with you. What would be your your parting tip or parting comment for leaders? It's it's a consistent thing that I've said throughout, but which is make time to listen to people. The, the example I use is now I go into the office two days a week. I have to train my brain to not check my emails because I can check emails anytime. I can check them on the train. If I've got somebody who wants to go for a walk for a coffee or whatever, so make make time to listen to your team and, and seriously listen. Like if they want to tell you what's going on in their life or whatever, actually listen. And the mistake that I used to make is that I do like to solve problems was to try and wade in and try and fix. And it, it, it is that. Second point is I've had a coach for 15, 16 years. I don't know how you, can, how you would want to have a career without a coach. I'm such an advocate. I'm not a coach myself. Fine, chemistry is the thing for me like speak to someone like Anna if there's chemistry there just give it a go so listen but the ability to listen and stuff like that does if you want to develop yourself getting a coach really helps you with that so um, listen and, and don't rule out getting a coach like Anna is what I would say. Thank you for the endorsement Matt and Kathy what would you what would you add? I'll provide that endorsement as well actually I agree I think you need you need a good coach who can provide that sounding board and kind of put things back into perspective but I think in terms of you know, my parting tip would be, I'll give you another Maya Angelou quote, because it's something that again, resonates with me is that people remember how you made them feel. It's not necessarily what you say or what you do. It's, it's how you make them feel. And that again, is the simple things. It's listening, it's connecting, it's taking time to spend with people and understand it from their perspective. It, it just comes back to the most simple things that we've all got available to us. Be yeah. present, make time and connect. Can, can I put a bit of geeky data in on Kathy's point? The brain memory of the actual moment lasts about three seconds. 
So going to Kathy's point of people remember how you made you feel, that is something way deeper than the brain memory that comes from the heart. The rational stuff is only going to last three seconds anyway. So all the stuff Kathy's saying, that's the long-term impact of, of how you treat people. I'd endorse that as well. And I think you know, my parting comment is, particularly for sales leaders, is just to think about, I love the sunflower image that you shared, Matt. Are you telling your sunflowers to grow or are you actually nurturing them and, and doing the right things to help them to grow? And I think as leaders, happiness is where it starts and success will follow. If you're doing the right things and you're creating the right environment, you'll provide a, a nurturing culture in which people will thrive rather than telling them or expecting them or indeed kind of covering up the, the cracks to uh, to make things look better on your on your report. So I think you know really being able to dig down and create an environment where through coaching team members individually and collectively I think is really important are able to talk about the challenges they're facing and work together, build those relationships to try and solve the problems rather than try and deal with their problems individually and not want to share that or discuss that in case it makes them look weak or non-competitive or not playing the right game. So I think you know, setting things up for people to be able to do that. And I think, Matt, you know, your, your point about not seeing that progress in certain sectors, I think, is really valid. Um, I think everybody has a long way to go, but I think there's we're seeing that those companies that do encourage their teams to share more, to be more vulnerable about what they're facing and, and to ask for help and to ask for support and to offer that to others are finding that that is playing dividends, paying dividends in many different ways. So really think about how to how to do that for your team. Thank you both very much. I've really enjoyed the conversation. You know, we could probably talk for hours about this. There's so much to uh, to dig into and, and perhaps we'll come back to that in a, in a future episode. But meantime, thank you both very much. Thank, thank you, you, Anna. Thanks, Kathy. Thank, thank you again to both my guests and for their endorsements. I feel really honoured by those. Though for transparency, I should say I've never been Matt's coach. Matt's book, The Freedom to Be Happy, is available on Amazon and other booksellers. Just follow the link from revenueriser.com where you can find both the book and a summary of engagement versus happiness, which Matt talked about. Matt also mentioned the book Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker, and I'll be talking about sleep and how it might just be the most important ingredient for success with Azzy Aslam in my bonus episode out on the 11th of August. If you enjoyed this episode, then please sign up for our newsletter to get all the links our guests recommend, along with other useful resources and insights. Just follow the link at revenueriser.com. And please join me again next time when I'm joined by Iran Westman of Viola Growth and Alfonso de la Nuez of UserZoom, exploring the relationship between investors and founders to scale growth fast. See you there.